0: And let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, So we're now beginning in Luke 8, um, as we're slowly making our way through the study of luke and we're likely into a familiar passage um and the the, the central parable that we've covered of the so the, the seeds of the sower uh or the parable of the sower um jesus even explains so i'm a bit uh, handicapped to try to expound on something jesus has already explained so he he's already done that but uh I think, I think there's, a, the, there's a significant message in the, the passage that we've read up through 21, and I think it all goes together because it's, it, there's this repetition of hearing and uh, God's word. So as we consider that, I want, I, when, I, when I think of this uh, parable, I think of one of the lube centers I owned in Virginia, and it was built on a lot where a former car wash had been. And uh, it was always hard to get grass to grow on, there. And uh, I didn't know why. I just knew it was hard to get grass to grow decent. And um, you know, it'd be green for a while, but the first, first sign of a little dry spell, and it was just brown as could be. And at some point, there was uh, on our front lot, um, and it was—if you didn't know, it could be confusing. We only had a lot big enough to exit, and then the street got widened. They took part of our lot, and it took even more of our. So it, was, it became almost dangerous if you, if you, if you, by ignorance. You just run up and pull in the exit. What do you do? Because the entrance was on the other side, off of a different street, and people very quite honestly—I mean—and you know, they're not idiots because they didn't know. I mean, you're just driving along, and here's the turn, and you boom, whoa! I'm now. Everybody's pointing at me. What do I do? So, in one spot between that lot and my neighbor's driveway was a little bit of grass. That was where the grass was. That that too was a place where grass was hard to grow. And thankfully, the lot didn't have much grass anyway. But people would then just drive. Oh, now I've made a mistake. Let me just drive through the grass, and I'll come out that guy's driveway, go around, and come in the right way. Okay, well, that's not good. You don't really need these people coming through your neighbor's place either, as well as running over our grass. So I thought, well, I'll just go to Lowe's and get me some little trees, and I'll plant them there. Well, as I, you know, out there with my shovel and my little trees. Well, I couldn't hardly dig. And then... Now this is this is the way I tell it. I don't know how accurate this is, but what I say is, as I dug down, I found another. I, I found another uh, parking lot. And you're like, well, no wonder the grass didn't grow. And, and but I planted these trees in it anyway. And I thought, okay, these trees are going to do nothing. But I need some sort of barrier, and I don't want to just be ugly about it. But I want people to you know not drive through there. So I, I went ahead and planted these little trees. And it was all. And I had to get a spud bar in order to dig a hole big enough to get the tree into. Um, and whether it's truly another parking lot under there or what, I don't know. But uh, it didn't. There was nothing that looked good about this. Well, there's little trees. Last time I was by, um, those trees are still growing. <laughs> They're still there. I figured they would grow up a little bit, and then the wind would blow and they'd they'd come over. It makes me wonder about their root system and what it must look like at this point. Well, that's that, that's what comes to my mind, and and I I think it um, is an example of kind of uh, one of the soils that Jesus describes, but. Um, we're looking then today at this passage where Jesus is teaching on hearing God's word. And these so these, these crowds are gathering in, and it talks about town after town are coming. And in the records of Jesus' ministry, this is thought to be perhaps the largest crowd he ever had. So I don't know how big that is, but it's big. And people multiple commentators would say, this is uh, likely the largest crowd who ever heard him. And so, um, you know us who always want a crowd, we sometimes don 't understand Jesus' motives so there 's this large crowd that comes, and Jesus preaches and teaches a very hard word, and so in the midst of this he 's going to teach them what it means to hear god 's word now, because this is this word, the word in our English word here is used multiple times through this passage from where we started to where we ended in twenty one um, it is important that we think on this hearing. Um, this hearing would not be a lot different than Old Testament hearing. And so there's this, the Hebrew word is Shema, and in the, uh, for, Jew, for, for a, a good young Jewish person, they would always know what, they, they would be able to recite the Shema. And the Shema would be translated as here. Hear. And in Deuteronomy six, in beginning in verse four, it, the first word is here, and so it's Shema, and that's about, that's all I can do. I, I can't do the rest of the, uh, I can't I can't do the rest of the Hebrew in that. But it, it, he, uh, Deuteronomy six four says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might." Now, this is, this, is the, this is the Shema. This is, this is a charge to the Israelites to hear, but it's, but it's not just the hearing. It's the hearing, receiving, accepting, then applying the Word of God. So when we come to this New Testament teaching that Jesus is teaching, since we have the same teacher, so the teacher from the Old Testament is still the teacher here in the New so we we sometimes want to think that's entirely different. So what did he mean over here? Well, he means the same thing. He wants people to hear and and absorb it, listening intently to what he's saying, given it spiritual understanding, knowing the significance in their lives, and then applying it in their walk. So really and we're limited because we have so many words to translate uh, or to, to for when we come from Shema, we come to hear we might come to listen, but it really involves doing so it's this hearing that gets uh, translated into doing God's word, and that's the product of one who has been had their heart penetrated with the uh, with this seed meaning God's word now um First, we're going to look at hearing and receiving God's word, um, and that we're going to start in verse 4, uh, or five, 5 actually. 5 says, a, a sower went out to sow his seed. It says more than that, but we're going to stop there. So who's the sower? Well, the, Jesus has already told us that what is being sown, what the seed is, is the word of God. So the sower in this, in this instance, in this immediate application, is Jesus. Jesus is the one that's spreading God's word. But as those co- who come to faith in him, you come to faith in him, then the Holy Spirit works in you to, to be the sower of the word. So as you spread the word, as you teach other people, as you reach other people, as you minister to other people, you then are the sower. And I know likely you've experienced this concept of trying to reach people, and a lot of times you're saying, where's the fruit? I continue to... Uh, minister to them, but I don't, I don't see any results. This, this kind of helps us get a, our, our frame of mind about what's going on here and, and even in our day as we're casting seed, how some of it takes uh, root and some of it doesn't. Um, this seed is going to produce fruit in those who hear and truly believe and apply it. So those who do God's word are going to be showing the results of receiving God's word. And it will produce fruit like Galatians 5 talks about. There will be this fruit of the spirit that's going to come, but it comes through the uh, planting of God's word in you. Now, a small kernel seed, you're familiar. You can take the small seed and it could grow up to be some ginormous plant or a handful of seeds gets to be a lot of, of uh, crop when it's produced. But that seed does no good at all if it's not planted into the ground, so to, to say that God's word is useless without being planted would not be accurate. But for producing salvation, if it's not planted into the hearts, uh, it would it, it would it would be useless in that regard. If it if it doesn't get into the hearts, John twelve twenty four says, "Truly, truly, I say to you," this is Jesus speaking. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So the reality is, it has to be buried in order to produce fruit. So when a person hears and understands the the word, then has been planted into their hearts. And so this 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 hearing is not just hearing and acknowledging, and you know we've got the same language, and I understand what you're saying. But it's but, but it's a it's to the point of understanding. And acknowledging that, and that's okay. Well, the word then is planted in the heart. But then, whether the heart, whether, whether the word produces fruit, uh, is a matter of what kind of seed has that, uh, what, what, what kind of soil has that seed been planted in. So the seed alone, without the soil, can do nothing to promote salvation. And the human heart is described here in four different um, as four different kinds of soils. Where the seed or the word then is planted. But, and, 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 you know, hear this. And this is one of these things where uh, Charles Stanley, when I would watch him, and he, he would say, Now listen, listen. And he's like getting your attention so that, okay, now you're, you're ready. And uh, I used to yell at jail and tell him to pay attention. This is kind of one of those moments. But, so the hearing and understanding and responding to God's word still doesn't equal salvation. Now here's where I think this is a hard lesson. I'm thankful for the song. I I kind of picked songs that I thought we could sing and I liked. Each one of them were packed with significant meaning to help us interpret this parable. Those songs are not not authoritative and they're not the Word of God. They are based on the Word of God, and so there's a whole picture of the Word of God, and this one is kind of isolated. As we pull it out, um, it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not talking about um, salvation here in the sense that did are these four types of soil did they all experience salvation what this lesson is showing us is hearing understanding and responding to God's word still does not equal salvation I think that's a hard lesson practical application for that is when you're talking with somebody people will talk to me about their whatever and it can be a friend, it could be a co-worker, it could be somebody who's having problems of some sort, and they are not behaving at all like a believer should be. They understand or or maybe this person's near death. And you might imagine some of the questions I might ask, and I might have even asked you some of these questions when we had these conversations because I get concerned of is this person a believer? Well, they're they're in church they do this they've been in church for a long time and they help with this or they do that but are they a believer we all know we can be in church we can we can wear the right clothes we can do the right thing we can say the right thing we can respond um, in in a timely manner when in the liturgy or whatever it is we can raise our hands and, and praise jesus but are we saved is this person saved are they, is there a changed heart is there anything going on in them this is kind of a help to help us understand at least we got to ask these questions. And I'm not one to be calling everybody's salvation into question. It's just that if we're going to minister to somebody, we got to know where to start. And I think frequently it's going to start with actually sharing the true gospel with them as opposed to assuming they believe it. Let's get on with the four different kinds of soil that Jesus presents. He talks about these different responses to his word and he describes it in these... Um, by By these types of soils, so Jesus got this great big crowd gathering around him. He knows that they 've come from multiple places, and he knows they 've come with multiple attitudes or motives to hear him are they Are they caught up in the crowd? Is it something they just want to see what 's the story what he 's going to tell us is that salvation will produce fruit. Fruit is the proof of salvation, not one 's profession of faith, not the prayer they prayed. Not the aisle they walked, but the fruit of their changed lives is the proof of salvation. Jesus has made it very clear, abundantly clear. He made it clear before we ever got to this chapter. Now he's in this chapter and these crowds are gathering around, and he's made it very clear that those who love him will do his word. So, it is important, I think, for us to have this right perspective and not be... um, And 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 even but even even I think with the right perspective it's still a hard parable, and and be aware that some people teach this as these are people who have come to salvation three out of the four come to salvation, one never did three come to salvation two lose it one keeps it, that's not what this is teaching. We're still Jesus has one purpose and it's came to come and save the lost and it's come to save his people, so. As we have sung, he's the one who draws them. He's the one who makes it happen. So, are these people lacking in their commitment? Are they lacking in that? Yes, yes, they are. Yes, I go for all that. But ultimately, he's the one who's doing the calling. So, when we're talking about salvation, meaning the whole package of one being truly saved spiritually from their sin, that's not what this is teaching about. the it, we're not. The, Jesus is not saying some people got saved and then they lost it. Uh, because it was up to them to keep it. So, the first one we come to, he says it's, it's, it's hard soil. So he says, uh, and as uh, the, so, the sower the went out, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So this this seed in this hard soil, it couldn't even penetrate the soil. The, so the the seed bounces off. Um, there's there's nothing for it to even take root to. If, if rain came, it would just wash it off the path. So the, the soil is all packed down. It's not ready to receive anything. And Jesus is saying that there are some who will hear him, and they'll not be, uh, they won't be penetrated by his word. They're not going to give it a second thought. Their hearts are not pierced by his truth, and so they're not going to consider anything he said. And so ultimately, they're not going to consider their sin in front of a holy God, they just don't think anything about him at all. They don't think that uh, what he has to say applies to them at all. They won't allow God's word to penetrate their heart. They're a hard hearted person. All right, well, those are easy enough to understand, and we might even start putting names. Now, the problem here is we can't put names to any of these, that's not for us to judge. And so we we just cast the seed. The Lord casts the seed and it is up to the Holy Spirit to do the you know the the harvesting in that. He's he's the one's going to make it grow. All we can do is cast the, cast the seed out there. But it but it may be helpful if there's somebody you've been witnessing to and they seem like, "Well, okay, they're not I'm making no progress here." Okay, it may be time to quit witnessing in that sense and go find somebody else to witness to. And and to say I don't know if they fit this in their entire life, but right now it seems pretty hard. But who knows what you've said to them and whether or not it's taking effect? And it's not again. That's not your job. You just put it out there. So then, number six or verse six says, "And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture." That's this is my this is my lawn at lube time. Um, dry spell. Everything's brown. Grass grows up. Looks kind of good, but then. Um, the least bit of trial in it, and it can't sustain the green grass, and so it just kind of withers and falls away. Um, this is someone who has the appearance of believing. Uh, it appears they've come to faith and actually believe. They have acknowledged God. They've heard it. They've understood it, and they've acknowledged hearing God's word. They've re- they've re- even responded to God's word. Um, have, have you have you ever seen? Fresh new grass grow. You know, you you throw the you, you do your soil. You throw the seed down. You put your straw on, and you water it and water it and water it. Well, you know, finally one day you walk come in from work and you you get kind of get a horizontal view and you're starting to see green in that straw and you're like well, things are greening up. Maybe that grass is going to grow. Well, that's kind of what's happening with this person. This is a person who has responded to God's call, God's word, and they're, and you're seeing some green in that person. It's like they have actually come to faith. But when the first trials or tribulations hit, they're like, well, you know, I give up on this. Woe is me. Why me, Lord? What would you do to me? If you were real, if you loved me, I thought you loved me. Why would you do this to me? I can't handle this. And so they reject what truth they had. So did they receive some truth? Yes. Did they respond to the truth? Yes. But it gets to this point of, of trials and tribulations, and they reject what they had. Verse 7 says, And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. In our uh, affluent society, and and, and reality in reality, in, in worldwide charts, Parkersburg, West Virginia, wouldn't hit it as affluent. I get this, except we are get this because we have so many things in our affluent. Our, our poor people, you know, y'all need to come with me to Rwanda sometime. Our the poorest we have not only in our city but in our state would make those who in Gashanga, where our sister church is look the, the Goshonga makes these people look rich we have lots of things uh, I see that we're privileged I'm struggling with how to articulate the difference between being privileged or blessed and I think there's a significant difference in what you think about that and one becomes a uh, something you respond positively to and one's a negative stigma because of and, and we have no choice where we're born now we don't we all don't have to live in Parkersburg we do live in Parkersburg we could live somewhere else. But even as poor as our area is, according to the stats, we are a very fluent society. And as we are able, as as we have our uh, fluency, and we're able to produce for ourselves, then the idea that we're dependent upon gods to sustain us gets further away. So I think that I think I think for the people we're rubbing shoulders with, there'll be people in all these categories. But I think this one's a really key thing because this, this thing where the in my own yard I got this issue going on I've got grass uh, out by our back porch and I look out there today I don't know what these are they're like some sort of a berry or something and it's, it's overtaking my grass what grass I had is kind of gone it's all getting choked up because of these stupid weeds of some sort I think that's what we see happening in people's lives all over the place I think American Christianity is, is struggling with this I think people in Parkersburg I think our friends are struggling with this and this is not to say that they are struggling with filling their lives with morally bad things. This is the busyness of life. It's entertainment. It's these things. You know, uh, people, people will plan years ahead of time so that they make sure they get their vacations in. They'll save and they'll borrow. They'll beg and steal so they can go on their vacations. They hold entertainment in a very high value. The idea that you would ask somebody to spend a little bit of money to come to something spiritually and nourishing... It's just foreign to them. It's it's strange. Doesn't make any sense to them. the The idea that they need God and need to depend on His word is is uh, it's it's just strange to their ears. and and the, and they know that like they're good people, and because they're good people, they're going to be involved with even positive things. and you know tra- travel this, travel that, travel soccer, travel basketball. You take care of your kids, and you supply for them. You get work. You get these things. You've got all kinds of things to do, and you understand that you are a believer because that one time you said your prayer, you walked your aisle, you said your prayer, so you've heard, understood, and responded to God's word. But because the business of busyness of life, trying to keep up with uh, the Joneses, um, I, I, I read just lately about keeping up with the Joneses is trying to, you're, you're, you're spending money that you don't have to keep up with people who you don't like um, and, 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 it's, and it's costing you something else. I was, I'm missing one thing from that quote that I read. But I thought that was funny. You're, you, to try to keep up with the Joneses is keeping up with people perhaps you don't even like them. It's just you feel like it's this pressure you got to do. So th- this is the kind of thing that's going on. And there are lots of things to do. I, and I know that. We're all busy. But the, but the thing of it is, is how much time are they carving out to spend time with God, to spend time with God's people? If, these, if the busyness of life chokes out tending to the soul to be with God's people about God's business, then what they have will be taken away. Now, th- and, and now this is not a fun lesson. Verse eight. We finally come to some good news. Verse eight says, "And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold." Finally, the good soil. This is what we've been waiting for. But what's this fruit? If, it, if this fruit is produced, if it's if it's yielding a hundredfold, what does that mean? And I think in when when people are going to teach about salvation and what their understanding of that is, and some of these people are coming to salvation, and some are not. Then I think this gets taught as one who comes through salvation in Christ and receives salvation. Then they go and tell others about salvation, and they can at least mark up 100 names under their belt. Because why not? It's what it says right there. It's plain black and white. Well, I, I, and, and really, honestly, I think there is something to this. I think if one has received the good news of, our, of, of salvation, he, she should want to share that with others. I think think that should be going on. I think that it would be a natural byproduct of the fruit. But but I think think it's a limited perspective of what the fruit is. Um, It's only in this soil that it produces fruit to keep the Lord's commands. And so this is the person who hears, understands, believes, and applies God's word. They become doers of God's word, not just hearers. Their lives are shaped and formed by God's word. They know what they believe and why they believe it. And it shapes every area of their life. This is not something they cling to or clung to or professed in 1972, but never have seen God's people since then, except at funerals. That's not how this is described. This is a hard lesson. This is saying that these are people who really did hear, they did understand, they, they acknowledged, they responded to, and then they applied God's word in their life. They did God's word. So, you know, if, if, if we could translate Shema to do, you know, do this, Israel. You know, you experience it. You, you do something. It's not just hearing. So these are the people where, that have God's word planted deep into their hearts, and with that deep soil planting and that nourishment of the soil their lives produce much fruit. Well so in verse 9 these disciples say well what the heck does this mean? So he says to them in 10 he says to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God but for the, but for the for, for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus is, not, Jesus is not surprised that everyone who hears his word doesn't respond to it as he would desire. They're not meant to. Now, More hard words, more hard words. And one of the commentators I read talked about some would teach that this, uh, Jesus taught in parables to keep people from hearing it and understanding and, and responding in salvation. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. And then he went on, and I can't tell you what he said. I, I, I did read it. It made no sense. because I And I'm not a smart person, but when I read this, he's actually quoting Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is the one who says, you know, I, I look for a man to go out from me, and who would I send? And Isaiah's like, whoa, here I am, send me. And we sing songs about this. And we're, they're happy songs, and they're good songs. And we're saying, send us, like you sent Isaiah. We... I will go for you, Lord. Send me. Once we get just a couple more verses, if you understand what Isaiah was charged with, would we be so quickly responding? And Isaiah's charge was, go and preach to the people. And in the preaching of my word to the people, hearts will be hardened. People will hear, but not, uh, not listen, not apply it. They won't understand. They'll They'll see, but they won't acknowledge. They won't be able to see. So they're, they're going to be ignorant because you're going to preach God's word to them. Hard saying. Hard, these, are, these are hard truths. So Jesus is saying in the New Testament, at this time, as he, the Lord of life, is come and preaching to people, he's saying to his disciples who were chosen and called by him, he's saying, as we preach, some are going to have their eyes darkened they they will be blinded by the preaching of God's word. We say frequently about the preaching of God's word. It's what brings death to life. And that is absolutely true. But at the same time, it, in that same preaching, in that same time where somebody may be brought to life, somebody may be growing harder, their eyes are grow, growing, growing closed, and their ears are growing shut. And that's God's purpose in... His word going out. And I believe that's uh, 100% what this, what, this um, what Jesus is just teaching them there. And if, G- and we only understand how to apply scripture because we can pay attention to how Jesus and the disciples applied scripture. So that when they're quoting Old Testament, you're like, well, what did they do with that? How did they get there? What was the context? What did they do with it? Well, Jesus has the same sort of context as Isaiah 6. And he's using it in the same kind of application. So the hard saying. That same word that goes out that brings life also brings hardness of heart and um, makes one grow cold. So the next thing we see is it's, it's the hearing and the sharing of the word. So as for we get through with the parable of the uh, sower and his explanation, then we have the light and the, on the lampstand. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it on a uh, but he puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing's hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So we're not to hide our light under the bushel. No. We, we, we sing that at mops with the kids. Uh, so we're teaching them that at the very beginning. But the, the expectation for Jesus is one who has received his word in this good soil is going to be a light in their family, they're going to be a light to their neighborhood, to their workplace, and so on. The goodness of God's word, and in a, in a, um, in a, in a place that talks about salvation as a one and done kind of thing frequently, um, and, it, and it's a whole, uh, there, there are a whole bunch of terms that get under this, this concept of salvation, but we're in a place that shortcuts all these terms, packages all under one word, and we call it salvation. So I think it's important for us to understand that we are still light as you as you are witnesses in your workplace, as you live among people uh, who are unbelieving, you are still light. So by your example, you're lighting the path when you have opportunity to share God's word with them. That's yes, that's sharing the light as well. And and I encourage you to do that when you talk to them about their sin and their salvation in Jesus Christ. And you should. Yes, it's just that's not what's going to happen every day. Every day you take your trash out and you see your neighbor across the street not going to grab his shirt collar and ask him if he died tonight where is he going to spend eternity? That's not how it's going. So you're going to be light and witness as you live your life before him as that fruit is being um, com- coming to life in your life as you're able to witness and help and what have you. But always be ready to give that account for the hope you have within you. So you should be ready to talk about Jesus anytime. And you shouldn't have to make them beg. But by the same token, let's not let's not get this so constricted that that's all we think that he's talking about. So your light's going to shine among the people. Eighteen says, "Take care then how you hear, for to those, for, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away." Okay, so there there is good news in here for you. But this is not just a good news, let's all feel good kind of passage. And this is scary. This is, if, you're not, if this is not chilling you, you all need to wake up. We've, we're considering these types of soils. And Jesus is teaching about these things. And his teachings are not pleasant. Then he explains them. And it's, and it's kind of just what I said. And what he's saying is this hearing of God's word is serious business. The hearing of God's word is serious business. And serious business whether you're the believer or one like the rocky soil where it's just going to bounce off of you. But it's serious business because his word will do what he sends it out to do. His, his, his word is powerful. And, and sometimes we get that confused. I, ex, I expected these people because the word went out to come to a living faith and they don't seem to be doing that. But he, his, his word may be doing exactly what he's expecting it to do um his word is doing what he, what he's expecting it to do not may it is and we may see different results than what we were expecting in time but this is saying that one who has a bit of god's word and and if you and if you've ever been in depth conversations with people who have turned their back on the lord or on the church you'll and, and you're like but you grew up in the church yeah so they they fit you're like, okay, I'm seeing this in reality here in Parkersburg, West Virginia. This person grew up in the in the church. They had some of God's word in them. They had some response to God's word, but what they had has been taken away. And exactly where they fit in, in, in soils, who knows? But it has been taken away. The uh, we need to pay attention to our, our our hearts, and we need to till the to, we need to till the ground. We need to water. We need to fertilize. We need to we need to. Be concerned about if we've received God's word, we need to be nurtured so that we have a place for that seed to take deep roots, to grow deeply. So that when trials come, um, the things are just not, you know, it doesn't blow those trees over. Our roots go deep, and, and our roots won't even grow. And our, our reliance on, because of our fluency, particularly, and the way we're made in our bent nature from the fall, we won't want to rely on God until we've experienced trials and tribulations. Until we suffer, we won't be exercising to the point where we're, our roots are going to go deeper. And so, in effect, when we're being persecuted, when we're suffering, we should be giving thanks because God's allowing that to happen and allowing us to grow in the process. So, um, we've heard and received God's word, we've heard and shared God's word. And then we hear and obey God's word. So then this next, next section, and in our, in our ESV Bibles, they have all these things separated, and it talks about the mother and brothers coming. And, uh, and you're like, what is this? That, that makes no sense. How, how rude, from our society, from the way we live, my mother's at the end of the crowd. Um, I can't. This is more than my little head can imagine. Well, no, I'm going to go get mother um, you know, sorry people. If she comes to me in the middle of the sermon, heck, I just have to leave. I got to go talk to mom. She wouldn't be doing this. If she didn't need something. What does he say? He says that they came to him, and he answered them. Twenty-one. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You know, how can that person be your mother? You know, he's a man. This makes no sense. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, he's talking about who's in the family of God. Who are my brothers and sisters? Who is it that belongs to God? These are, and we talk about how we are um, adopted, that doctrine of adoption, how we are adopted and we are uh, sons of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is what he's talking about. This is what he knows. He knows those who who, who have that word planted deep into their hearts and respond to it in faith and do his word, those are his family. Now, this is this is kind of shocking thing when, you, when, in re, when we're reading it in light of the whole of the Bible because God has a primary place for the family. When many, many, many of our problems today can be traced back to the breakdown of the family. And if we can destroy the family, we can destroy society as it, as it is. And we're doing a really good job of it. Because, in, and this is for believing, yes, but even for non-believing, God has natural order for things. In the families where... Um, Things are going to happen. That's where control for society and respect for elders and all these things are supposed to take place. But for those who are his people in the family, this is where he makes himself known. It's where he reveals himself. He reveals himself through the parents to the children. As the back to that Deuteronomy six and the Shema, then he's going to he's going to share the law, and then he's going to tell them to teach it to their kids as they walk along the path and that kind of stuff. Okay. The expectation is these people will be raising their children, instructing them so that they know the Lord. That's All that is true. But Jesus does something different here, and I think it's very helpful. I think it just goes along with it's hard to hear. So there's good and bad. I go, wow, Jesus, that seems like bad news to me. But this is good news, and I tell you about my perfect family all the time. But I grew up in, and everybody loved me, and all that stuff. And I know that's sometimes not your story. And there, I meet lots of people that's not their story. And I find myself trying not to tell about all my goodness because it's such a contrast. I'm not the normal one. I'm the weird one. I thought I was normal. I'm the weird one. There are all kinds of brokenness and people who have experienced all kinds of brokenness. This becomes very good news to those people. Will you come into the kingdom then. Why, would you, why are you saying this? Why, you need, you, you're telling me about that brokenness you, ex, you experienced. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years, 60 years ago as a child and how you couldn't depend on your family, what I'm telling you is what Jesus is saying, the spiritual family of God is more important than the natural nucleus family, nuclear family, family unit, whatever that is, where in that perfect thing where you have a mom and a dad and you have children and grandmas and grandpas and everybody gets along and nobody's divorced and everybody's been married forever, the spiritual family of God is more important than that. Now I think it's beautiful if you had all that, and they're also in the spiritual family. That'd be beautiful. That's not necessarily the case with people. But this becomes very good news, and it's shocking to my ears to hear him say these things, but what he's, he's elevating, the spiritual family of God, and the significance of it, the importance of it, what, why would that be? Well, it's in this, how are we going to grow with one another? And I, I talk about community, I talk about fellowship, and it takes something on our part in order to participate. But we need to be with one another, and we have to be intentional. We, we, we've, 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 we've had one make a break for it. So at any rate, as you, as you hear and obey God's word, you display the fruit of your salvation. That's the key to this passage. And as a believer, you hear and receive God's word. You hear and share God's word. And then you hear and obey God's word. So ask the Lord to till that soil of your heart so that in the end you may be counted as Jesus' brother or sister. And then you rest because you know that you are a joint heir with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.